0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk About It, a podcast with a purpose. I'm your host, Molly, and this week we are wrapping up January talking about cervical cancer. This episode will contain topics of disease and death, so listener discretion is advised for this episode. January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month, and cervical cancer sadly affects over 14,000 women every year, just in the United States alone. However, with knowledge and awareness, it can actually be quite preventable. So let's talk about it. We're going to start by talking about what the cervix is and what type of cancer affects it. We won't get too deep into the medical side of things, but I did just think it was important to note what part of the body we're going to be talking about here. I do just want to say I'm not a doctor or anything like that. I do have a biochemistry degree, but beyond that, um, you know, I am not a doctor. <laughs> this episode will also likely be um, a little more shorter than some of the other ones in the past. There just isn't is a ton, I guess, to talk about. It's pretty straightforward, but I still thought that it, you know, it's such an important thing and affects so many people that just because it wouldn't make a super long episode or I don't know, it doesn't feel right to not talk about something simply because it might not make amazing content when it's still something that's so important to spread awareness about. So, I hope that you understand. I think it's still deserving of an episode, and I still want to talk about it. And lastly, before we get into it, I did just want to say that throughout this episode, I will sometimes say women, I will sometimes say people, and I am not trying to be exclusive in any way, shape, or form. I know that this topic applies to all people with a uterus and a cervix and that sort of thing sometimes I will just say women to kind of back bounce back and forth between the verbiage and a lot of the sources say women and stuff so it's just kind of a reflection of that however I do you know I do acknowledge and I am aware that this applies to people and people with a cervix So the cervix is the low and narrow part of the uterus that meets up with the vagina. It's sort of like the bridge between the vagina and the rest of the uterus. And it's made up of two main parts, the endocervix and the ectocervix. The ecto is the outer part and the endo is the inner part, which is this canal that joins the vagina and the uterus. And the area where these two parts meet is called the transformation zone. And this is actually where the cervical cancer usually starts. And there are two types of cervical cancers, and the difference is basically just where they start and what types of cells they affect. And you likely already know that cancer is the uncontrolled growth of cells. In cervical cancer specifically, the types of cells affected are squamous cells and glandular ones. Quickly, just to give a little more context, again, I don't want to spend too much time on the biology here, but squamous cells are cells that make up things like the surface of your skin, the lining of some of your organs, respiratory tract, things like that. Glandular cells are found specifically in the mucus lining of the cervix squamous cell carcinoma is the most common type. Up to 90% of cases are this type, and it affects the squamous cells of the ectocervix. The less common type is the adenocarcinoma, which affects the glandular cells of the endocervix. So what causes cervical cancer, and how can we prevent it? It is most commonly caused by long-lasting HPV infections, HPV is a common human papillomavirus typically spread through sex. So what happens is your body cannot get rid of the virus on its own and then it lingers, builds up, and it starts to turn your normal cells into abnormal cells and then eventually cancer. There are other causes of cervical cancer such as smoking and being chronically immunocompromised, but those are much more rare. There is a silver lining here, however. Cervical cancer is easily preventable and treatable upon early detection. Cervical cancer actually has a 90% survival rate when it is caught early. It also has a slow growth rate. So while it may be scary to think that it's lying dormant in your body and you might not know it, this could also actually also provide a little more comfort in knowing that it's not going to spread throughout your body very quickly, allowing you more time to detect it before it becomes too serious. But that means that you need to do regular screening. And regular screening really is key here for prevention and early detection. This looks like a few things. Get vaccinated if you have not already. The CDC reports that the vaccine is nearly a hundred percent effective at preventing HPV. It is not re- recommended, however, past the age of 26, but if that applies to you, definitely something to consider. Another huge part of preventative care is regular pap smears. They are incredibly important for detecting abnormal cells in your cervix. The change from normal healthy cells to abnormal ones is the one of the first steps towards cervical cancer. So if you can detect these abnormal cells and remove them early, your chances of developing cancer drop significantly. And I know that pap smears are scary and uncomfortable, but they truly could save your life. And Also, practice safe sex and test for HPV. I'm not here to judge or shame anyone's sexual practices. As long as no one gets hurt and everyone consents, I literally could not care less. But be realistic with yourself and your lifestyle and just consider that if you are somebody, you know, with an active lifestyle and multiple partners, condoms and regular STI screening really could be a good and safe practice to have. And I know if you have children, it can be really uncomfortable to talk with them about sex and safe sex practices, but again, it could literally save their lives. And I would strongly encourage you to talk with your child's doctor about the HPV HPV vaccine because it, you know, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but that could be the difference between, you know, life and death here. And it's not... I know it's uncomfortable, but it's not realistic to believe that your child won't have sex. You know, they will at some point. And I think the best thing that we can do is provide them with the tools to do it safely. Of course, a huge part of early detection is being able to recognize symptoms. Unfortunately, uh, the symptoms are not always obvious very early on, but there definitely are some early stage symptoms to be aware of. Uh, These I just got from cancer.gov, and I am just going to read the list that they have there. It's vaginal bleeding after sex, vaginal bleeding after menopause, vaginal bleeding between periods or periods that are heavier or longer than normal, vaginal discharge that is watery and has a strong odor or that contains blood, pelvic pain or pain during sex. They also have some late-stage symptoms if you know it's progressed a little bit further that is difficult or painful bowel movements or bleeding from the rectum when having a bowel movement difficult or painful urination or blood in the urine dull back pain swelling of the legs pain in the abdomen Or feeling tired so if you are experiencing or know anybody that is experiencing any of these symptoms please I would encourage to seek medical care if you can and you know it could totally be something else but it would never hurt to just get it checked out and it would of course be even better to detect your HPV before you know um, it gets to the point of cervical cancer so The symptoms aren't always, you know, HPV really doesn't have a lot of symptoms. So, you know, it's really important to get those health screenings done, get your STI screenings done, but it can sometimes show up on a pap smear and sometimes genital warts or genital itching will also appear if you have contracted the infection. So everything that I just talked about is really great if you have access to it. However, we know that in 2020, 90% of new cases around the world occurred in low- and middle-income countries. Looking back at our facts we talked about earlier in this episode, 14,000 women in the United States are diagnosed yearly, but there were over 600,000 new cases around the world. This means that just a little over 2% of the new cases occurred in the United States. A great deal of the rest of it is occurring in parts of the world where women simply do not have access to the preventative care that they need. This means they can't prevent it in the first place with things like vaccines and or access to safe sex products like condoms, but they also don't have access to screenings like pap smears. So a huge step in helping women with cervical cancer is helping women around the world obtain access to medical treatment. Several sources reported that 1.5 billion women around the world do not have access to adequate medical care so what can we do this is probably going to repeat some of the things that we already talked about but i think it's important nonetheless first things first take care of yourself if you have the privilege of having access to healthcare and preventative screenings like a Pap smear, please please use it. Get your screenings done. It could be the difference between life and death. And if you have children and they have the privilege of having access to preventative healthcare, please allow them to use it. Again, I know it is scary and difficult to imagine your child being sexually active, but pretending it won't happen could actually harm them. And keep in mind that they could get it up until the age of 26 anyway, so they could choose to receive it on their own once they become of age to do so. So you might as well just equip them with the safety of it as soon as you can. So I know that, you know, like with a lot of issues, it can be harder for us to have an impact on the global problem at hand. But the World Health Organization or the WHO does currently consider cervical cancer to be a public health problem. So, some other examples would be like COVID 19, HIV, polio, Ebola, things like that. So, the WHO will stop considering cervical cancer to be a public health problem when each country has fewer than four cases per 100,000 women. No country has yet to reach this, but the goal that the WHO has is to reach it by 2030. And we won't talk about each one in particular, but there are a lot of other great organizations out there specifically working on ending the cervical cancer in lower income parts of the world. Just to name a couple, uh, the Global Initiative Against HPV and Cervical Cancer and the Cervical Cancer Action for Elimination. So you can, of course, support the WHO and other organizations like it through donations. I do think, however, this particular topic is one where voting in elections really can make a difference. Planned Parenthood provides so much of this screening to women who cannot access a more traditional form of care. So you can vote for people who support supporting Planned Parenthood because there are plenty of politicians that do not. And I don't want to get too much into that side of things. And, you know, despite your feelings about other things, they really are doing some life-saving work. And, you know, other places like it, Planned Parenthood is just, uh, you know, a well-known example. And there are plenty of women right here in the United States that do not have access to adequate health care. And places like Planned Parenthood provide quite literally life-saving screenings. So this is definitely not a promotion for Planned Parenthood, like I said. But despite your You know feelings about other issues. I did just want to point out that in 2017, only 3% of services Planned Parenthood performed were abortion ones, while cancer screenings were at 6%, and STI screenings and treatment made up nearly 49% of the services that they performed. But remember that cervical cancer is caused by untreated HPV, which is an STI. So Planned Parenthood alone played a huge role in helping women lead a healthier and safer lifestyle, and specifically, you know, prevent preventing potentially any cervical cancer and so it's probably safe to say that at least one woman's life was saved because of those treatments and screenings so you can of course donate to Planned Parenthood and other places like it because those dollars literally could make a difference and will make a difference in somebody's life lastly spread awareness encourage your friends to get screened again I know so many have anxiety around going to the doctors and let's be honest pap smears are not fun and they are really quite invasive But what you would have to go through otherwise could get so much worse if you let something go untreated. So help your friends if they're scared. Maybe go with them. Avoidance is never the answer. That's why we talk about these difficult things. So look out for yourself and look out for each other because the world really needs more of that.